Luke 22, in case you didn't hear it in the back, our text today, we join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we take on our next topic in our series, imagine that, tonight looking together at obedience. Obedience. I want to read for you from Luke's account of Jesus in the garden. I'm going to begin in Luke 22, verse 39. It says, He came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Tonight we find Jesus in a moment of agony. Maybe the greatest moment of agony. As knowing where he had come from and knowing to where he was going, Jesus sees the cross before him. And finds himself in prayer, saying, If you are willing to the Father, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. There may be no greater example in all of Scripture, though certainly some of the Bible's most famous characters learn how to obey God and what obedience to God means, but no one exemplifies that more than Jesus himself as facing life's greatest challenge, humanity's greatest challenge, he bows his head in prayer and says, Not my will, but yours be done. As we've considered what it means to imitate Jesus, to embody the characteristics of God's kingdom, to imagine them and live them out in this life, there's no greater place to turn as we consider what obedience means for disciples than to the Lord himself in the garden as he surrenders his will to the will of the Father. I want us to look together at three ways, uh, four ways we might think about obedience tonight. The first, that obedience begins with listening. When we meet Jesus in the garden making this fateful prayer, the, the words that seem almost too good to be true, that so few would be capable of uttering, We find him not only speaking, but on his knees before the Father to listen. Jesus made it a habit throughout his ministry of tuning his ears to God. If we look at the Greek word for obedience, we discover that the word for obedience is not so much what we might think it is. You know, we tend to think of obedience as a kind of blind behavior, 
that we just do what someone says, that you do what you're told to do. Like you might take your dog to obedience school to learn that when you give a command, the dog, no matter what it would like to do, simply does what you say to do. Obedience, the Greek word translated in our New Testament, is a combination of two words, one meaning under, the other meaning listen. Obedience begins with listening. To put it literally, to, uh, to be, obey in that way is to be someone who listens under. Throughout the scriptures, we find Jesus not just doing whatever he thinks he's supposed to do, but finding out what God's will is because he places himself in a posture of listening under the Father's voice. That's why I've put the passage from Luke 10 just uh, not long before in the disciples' life when they encounter with Jesus, Mary and Martha. You know the story. One of them, so busy doing all the things, the other doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. You are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. What was it in that scenario that was so necessary? What is the one thing that is needed? It was moments before in verse 39, we meet Mary, Martha's sister. The description of her is simply Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to His word. Disciples who live a life of obedience are men and women who have learned what it means to sit under the voice of the Lord. It's one thing to think that we might do what God would have us do or do what God would say, but if we don't pause long enough to know what God is saying, how can we know what we ought to do? The one thing Jesus says that is necessary is not that you accomplish everything that looks like it might keep you busy, but that you be like Mary and find yourself introduced as one who is seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Verse 42, Jesus says, For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. The only thing necessary for us as we begin a life of obedience, as we imitate the obedience of Jesus, is to become people who listen under God. Obedience begins with listening, but living in obedience also requires trust. It forces us to become people who set aside our own wisdom and knowledge and begin to believe that God can be God better than we can. For some of us, that's easier than others. Sometimes we begin to believe that, that we can do things on our own, that we can lead in our own way. You know, C.S. Lewis, who said that there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Of course, Lewis's point is simply that hell will be filled with people who have chosen to reject God, who have chosen in the end to follow their own will rather than submit or align their lives to the will of the Father. 
Obedience requires trusting in God. Trusting in God means surrendering to the fact that God is better at being God than we are. As we listen to his word, as we listen to his voice, as we look to the example of his son, we begin to live obediently by trusting in him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart seems easy enough. It's that leaning on your own understanding part that most of us have trouble with. That when things are blurry or gray or not quite sure, we tend to fall back on what we see fit. When it ought to take us back to point number one, that if we're going to listen and obey what God says to us, we have to begin with listening for His voice instead of turning to our own. Is listening to the voice of God a habit of yours? Is turning to God's Word for answers both direct and indirect, specific and unspecific? Is this a priority in your life? When things are challenging, do you find yourself deeper in God's word, listening closer for God's voice, or moving further and further more quickly away, making your own plans? One of the reasons that Jesus, in his humanity, can bow and pray so painfully, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, is because Jesus knew what it meant to trust in the Father, to believe that the will of God is greater than man's greatest ideas. That's why not only does living in obedience require trust in God, it also can be defined as the relinquishment of one's rights as sacred. Now, this third point reminds us that when we come to Jesus in obedience, we have to learn to surrender our own rights. Of course, this doesn't come naturally for us. Most of us live in a place where we uh, fight to defend our rights. We uphold our rights. We want to speak about all that we are entitled to as people. Certainly, the freedoms we enjoy, especially in a country like ours, are so precious to us. But part of submission to God's will, submission to the Father is learning to believe that even our rights, our rights to, uh, to follow and make a life as we see fit, our rights to uh, protect ourselves, our rights to live in our own way, all of these things get laid at the foot of the cross as Jesus tells us, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Again, we all wish to come after him. We're excited to follow Jesus, but the denying, yourself, uh, denying ourselves part tends to trip us up. Just like we can trust in the Lord but lean on our own understanding, we tend to wish to come after Jesus but have trouble denying ourselves. We find our own rights, our own privileges, our own ideas to be hard to give up as we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Obedience is a challenge if we don't listen if we don't trust the voice that we're listening to, and if we're too caught up in ourselves to trust the voice that we're listening to. All three come together as we try to live lives of obedience, and all three seem to converge on Jesus as he bows in the garden and manages to listen to God, listen for a voice that he trusts without letting his own will get in the way. If we don't listen to a voice that we trust. We have trouble getting over ourselves. 
I read the story of a man who went to his doctor. He had been having coughing fits like anyone might have as they go to the doctor. I'm coughing my heart out, he told his doctor. He described his symptoms as if he could feel his lungs burning up every time that he coughed. So the doctor said, let's take a look. The doctor examined him. He said, you know, it's not looking good, but you're in luck. I've got the medicine here, a bottle of it. The instructions are on the bottle. It'll clear this up in three days. Here you go. Have a nice day. Five days later, the man returned. Doctor, you told me this stuff would cure me in three days. I'm not getting any better. In fact, I'm getting worse. The doctor asked him politely, did you read the instructions? Of course, the man says. It says, uh, and the doctor grabbed the bottle from him and said, give me that bottle. Snatched it out of the man's hand, looked at it and said, the bottle is unopened. The patient said, you didn't say I had to open it. (laughs) Now the doctor grew more and more annoyed. He told him plainly, you came in to see me. I examined you. I diagnosed your problem. I gave you the medicine. The rest is up to you. And we can turn to God much like Jesus does throughout the Gospels for, for help, for healing, for hope, for wholeness. We can get all the instructions that, that God's Word has to offer us, even know that it is certainly the, the solution to our problems. Our third point reminds us that if we carry it with us and do nothing with it, it's useless. There's no medicine in the world that can cure the person who won't take it. There's no healing, no prescription for someone who won't obey. Those who listen to God's voice, even trust that He knows what He's talking about, are useless until they're ready to decide that what God offers is worth receiving, worth sacrificing for, worth giving up our lives to. Obedience is not just a blind alignment with whatever might be said. It requires listening under. Anyone can listen to a friend. Anyone can listen to a parent. Anyone can listen to a teacher. But until we believe that our ways are truly under His, we'll be holding the answer without opening the bottle. The moment that we admit that God's ways truly are higher than our ways, we become open to receiving the healing that only Jesus can bring. Living in obedience means giving up our own rights. Relinquishing the belief that our rights are sacred and that everything that we have can't be given up. Living in obedience also means fully and faithfully yielding to the will of God. These are the characteristics that seem to be so marked in the life of Jesus as he bows in Gethsemane. But Jesus doesn't stay there. He doesn't simply bow and pray, not my will, but yours be done. He has instructions. He has something to say. If you go, for example, to Mark's account of the same events, Jesus in Gethsemane and Mark 14, you find an addition to what Luke has to tell us. Jesus is crying out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Not what I will, but what you will. He mirrors Luke's account. It says he came and he found them sleeping. Again, the disciples, just like in Luke and Mark, they're sleeping. 
He says to Peter specifically, not just vaguely to all of them, why are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep, watch, keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Mark 14, 39 tells us again, Jesus went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? And Jesus says, It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. You see, if you listen for the voice that you trust, and you receive what God might have to say, in the end, obedience requires us being fully and faithfully yielded to the will of God, whatever that may be. Jesus prays first, if you are willing, Father, remove this cup. But after he seats himself under what God might say and listens for the voice that he trusts, Jesus gets an answer. And he teaches us what to do with the voice of God when it's heard. He says, it is enough. Get up. Let us be going. Now, had Jesus described what was about to come, what would happen next, had the disciples fully understood where Jesus was headed, that the cross was the only destination for his life. I doubt any one of them would have agreed that it was enough or bothered to get up or been willing to be going. But Jesus tells them because he's the one in the the one among them praying who's able to fully and faithfully yield to the will of God no matter what it may be. He sacrifices his own will under the voice that he trusts. And he says to them in words of action and response, being fully and faithfully yielded to the will of God, it is enough. Get up. Let us be going. Obedience requires not only that we listen and that we believe that God is more God than we are, But that in the end, when we hear what he has to say, we get to work. We move on. We get going. We say, it is enough. Get up. Let us be going. You see, the life of obedience is about immediate obedience because there is no other kind. Delayed obedience is another word for disobedience. And Jesus knows that once the voice of God has been heard, it must be fully and faithfully followed. At the age of 80, Dr. Erland Waltner wrote that he had had a a sense of change in perspective about his life. He says, during the last decade of my life, I have sensed I am in transition on my experience of God. For many years, my time with God was something like a quick stop while driving on a long and sometimes rough road. A pit stop in the Indianapolis 500 when drivers stop to refuel, to check the tires, to watch for possible trouble ahead before hurrying back to the fast lane as quickly as possible. Mine felt like a spirituality of the road. 
Some of us can relate to that. That obedience to Jesus can sometimes feel like a kind of pit stop obedience. That we run the race that God has in front of us and all the busyness that it entails and believe that what God calls us to is to stop at least every so often and check in. That all things are in alignment, tuned to the precision, that we can jump back into the race and continue at full speed down the path the race has for us. Beginning to see in the last decade of his life that there was something more, Waltner wrote, I'm beginning to see that my relationship with God is not so much a spirituality of a road as it is like a river. It helps me get from here to there, to carry me along from day to day, from task to task, from one experience to the next. You see, a spirituality of the river asks for a higher kind of trusting in God, a deeper kind of love, a profound hope that if I jump in, this river will carry me on. His experience reminds me of the priest's who stood on the banks of the Jordan, wondering how in the world God was going to get his people from one side of a river to the other. And as they all stood staring at the river, wondering how the miracle was happened, they would soon discover that it would happen the moment that the priests had the faith to, as the Bible says it literally, put their soles of their feet in the water. And sometimes we can begin to believe that obedience is just about checking in for a tune-up every now and then. That as we navigate the paths of life and run this busy race, we just need to make a pit stop often enough that God keeps us ready to go and we remain moving in His direction. But Jesus, as He meets us in the garden, reminds us that ours is not a pit stop kind of obedience, but a river that's raging before us, that God calls us to jump in. That our lives might join the direction His is going. That as we imagine the qualities and characteristics of His kingdom, we begin to live and to walk in His way. We look at Jesus' life of, of obedience, His decision and prayer in the garden. We imagine what it would look like for our lives to be the same. And we pray, Father, not my will But yours be done, no matter the cost. Let's pray together. Father, we come today and meet our Lord on his knees in the garden, listening for the voice of the Father. We thank you that you bring us here, gathered together tonight to open your word and to listen for that same voice. What a powerful gift to know that our God still speaks. And to those who will listen, to those who will sit beneath his word and trust that he is God all by himself, you offer new life. We pray, God, that you would teach us to be people who walk in your light and in your life each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.